Good to see you guys. Hey, happy Independence Day as well. Happy July 4th. Glad to be with you. We are going to jump right in this morning, but we're going to pray first. But we are jumping in. We're back in our Ten Commandments series, and today we're talking about murder. Murder. Murder, she wrote. Commandment number six. And so pray with me. We're going to dive right in today. Father, thank you so much for your word. It guides us. It leads us. Corrects us. Thank you that we don't have to come up in our own mind with you know, these own, our own guiding life principles and what we believe is right and wrong. You have made it abundantly clear for us so that we can have abundant life in you. And Father, as we come to your word today, would you um, just help me as I'm preaching to uh, both be accurate, truthful, but to be gracious as well as I communicate your word, which oftentimes can, um, can, can give, convict and point, um, but we ask that your word would be um, life to our bodies today. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Ready? Murders. No, I'm just kidding. Ready? Okay. Exodus 20, verse 13. Here's the verse. You shall not murder. It's a great verse to memorize if you're trying to build your list of verses. You're memorized. A very short verse. Another verse to memorize would be Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. Now you can go home. Share that with uh, people at the barbecue. When you look at this verse in a lot of your translations, a lot of you in your Bibles, when you, when you turn to Exodus, it will say, you shall not kill. And to be honest with you, you shall not murder is a better translation than you shall not kill. And it may seem like a minor detail, but every word in the Bible is important and leads us to greater and deeper understanding. Just like in the English language where there's a word for killing and there's also a word for murder, in the Hebrew language, which is the original language of the Old Testament, there is both a word for killing and a, both a word for murder. Now, killing is more of a general sense. The word that we see in Hebrew means to put to death. It's very often used in the Old Testament. There's actually a couple different words, but the one I'm talking about specifically, put to death. You see it all over the Old Testament. The word that we see in Exodus chapter 20 in this sixth command is a different word that's much more rarely used, and it much more closely is conveying the English word of murder. This is important because there's a big difference. Not all, let me be clear, not all killing is wrong in the eyes of God, but murder is always wrong, right? Killing is this broad category that includes a lot of different things, which we will go into today, some of them. Um, but murder is a very specific form of killing, right? And so murder is what God's saying, and that's what the Sixth Commandment is talking about. Not necessarily is God saying there should never be any type of killing. And we'll go into some of those things. As we jump in, the first area that we're going to go into a little bit here that is in this killing category but it is not prohibited um, in the sixth commandment is the area of capital punishment. Capital punishment. So some states in, in America, how it works is basically 
You know, different states have different rules about if they can inflict and do capital punishment. Some states have that on the table, and some states have fully taken it off. We see in the Bible all the way back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, that God allows and permits uh, capital punishment. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 says this, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is important to remember. Now, if you go after service and you go to your family gathering and you ask people around the barbecue, um, is murder wrong? Everybody, except maybe your weird uncle, but everybody will say that murder is wrong, right? Different religions, different people, atheists will say murder is wrong. Now, what's more interesting is digging in deeper and saying, well, why is murder wrong? And you may get a bunch of different answers, but some of the answers you get, well, well, it's just wrong. We know it's wrong. It's not right. It doesn't really suffice, right? We need deeper than that. Why? Okay, I know it's wrong, but we know that. We feel it generally sense, but why deeper than that is it wrong? Some people may say, well, it's more about, um, you know, society being able to function. You know, if everybody was killing each other in the, the, the aisles of Kmart, then, you know, society wouldn't be able to function and it would be like the purge movie, right? But for Christians, we really even have a deeper meaning than that, because really it starts going into the conversation. If you dig deeper and deeper and deeper, you start getting down to, well, who chooses who you can kill and who doesn't. And what bases on that is who has value? Who has value? Now, let me tell you this. As a Christian, the Bible gives us a phenomenal answer why we shouldn't kill people. It's built on a truth. And the truth is mentioned in Genesis chapter 9, mentioned before that. We have value and worth because we... Everybody is created in the image of God. Regardless of your race, regardless of your physical health, whether you're special needs or you're this, regardless if you're old or you're young or you have a mental handicap, the Bible says that we are all created in the image of God, which means every single human being on the face of the earth has value in the eyes of God. That's a big deal. It matters. Um, in different cultures and different belief systems, some people are viewed higher than other people, depending on how they can function, depending on what they add to society, depending on how old they are. Well, they're this age, so no, 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 no. We believe as Christians across the board, regardless of what religion you're a part of or what skin color you look like, whether you're black or white, Hispanic or Indian, or you're Asian or what, regardless, we believe that you are created in the image of God, and that means that you have an inherent value in you. This is good. Our value is not just based upon what we do or based upon what we look like or based upon what we drive. More important than all of us, each of us share the image of God. 
And this is important in establishing the value of each human being. Capital punishment is not prohibited in the sixth commandment, and we see it used all throughout the Old Testament. Capital punishment for murder, I love what Pastor Kevin DeYoung said. He has a great book on this. He said, capital punishment for murder was not considered an assault on the, on the image of God, but a defense of his image. Human life is so precious that the taking of it was to be punished severely. God wanted humans to understand that each and every one of our lives is very valuable to him. And there is capital punishment, regardless of where you really stand on it. The Bible does permit it. This is not included in that. Um, it's, not, it's not against uh, capital punishment. But obviously, we don't play out and act capital punishment on our own. That is given to the governing authorities. Romans chapter 13 talks about the governing authorities are God's servants for good and an avenger to carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Are you tracking with me? Nope, you're not. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Capital punishment, not prohibited. The second one that we more easily understand is this, self-defense. Is self-defense prohibited? Is that what God's talking about when we talk about the sixth commandment? That is not what God is talking about. We see uh, one of the verses that gives us clarity on this is Exodus chapter 22, verse 2. And it says this, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. Let me explain it in terms that you can understand and you can grasp and apply Basically, what this verse is saying is, if the choice is between you defending your family or your own life and killing somebody else and you have no other choice, then that is permitted and allowed and not considered under the uh, sixth commandment. That's something on its own. So somebody comes into your house and they're a crazy axe murderer with a Freddy Krueger mask and you wake up, you were just, you know, going to the bathroom real quick, and, you know, you, you hear something, you go down the stairs, and there's just a person with an axe. And whatever weapon you have, you grab the bat that's under your bed, or the gun that's in the this or the that. And this person, you're like, hey, you know, don't, don't, don't come at me. I got a bat. And they just keep coming at you like this. You're like, don't do it. Don't. I'm, I'll use it. Or you got a gun or whatever it is. And, and they are, their intent is to kill you, and you shoot them, or you hit them, and you kill them, um, that is not considered a breaking of thou shalt not murder. That's considered its own category. That is considered self-defense. But there's a little condition here, and that's what he talks about. He says, but if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. What this is saying is, if you have an opportunity to not kill this person, if shooting a round off in your house or hitting the wall with your bat can scare this person away and you hear them run away, then that's the option that we're trying to seek here. In other words, you shouldn't be excited to use your brand new shiny gun if you just got it. And you shouldn't also wait till they leave the door and say, honey, bring my bow and arrow. We're going to go hunting. Like, no, like that's, 
It's a totally different category. This is self-defense we're talking about, where you are put in a situation where it's your life or theirs, and they're not stopping. You've warned them. Then that is um, not under the second commandment. That's, that's, it's, it's not prohibited. You're allowed to do that. Um, ultimately, the principle of what God's trying to tell us is every human life has value, and we should not take lightly the loss of life. The last one that people bring up oftentimes when we talk about thou shall not murder is people have a lot of questions about war. So, okay, we hear what you're saying. God tells us don't murder. Taking of human life is bad. But what about war, pastor? There's always been wars. It's pretty much there will always be wars. Um, If I know somebody that's a soldier, if I'm a soldier, if I get called into a draft, and I have to shoot somebody, does that mean that I've broken the sixth commandment? And I would clearly say, no. War is not included or prohibited in the sixth commandment. Now, we know that we are called to be peacemakers, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they would be called children of God. But there are many times when nations or people or tribes need to go to war to preserve peace. We also see that when we study the original word for murder here that's used in Exodus, we never see the word, the Hebrew word for murder, used in any context regarding warfare. So anywhere the Old Testament talks about war and battles, they use the other word for killings. They don't use the word for murder. In other words, it's not considered or seen as murder when it comes to war. God also, we address God with a lot of different titles. Some of the titles God proclaims upon himself or lets us, reveals to us are pretty interesting. God in the Old Testament actually says that he is a warrior God. Think about that. We don't talk about that often. He identifies himself to the people of Israel as a warrior God and often sends the people of Israel into war and into battle to fight other nations. We see this over and over. Even think about uh, Joshua and the classic story of the, of the city of Jericho. They go in, they go around, do their dance and blow their horns for seven times around. And then they go in and they fight the people. And God has told them and called them to that. So war is not prohibited in the sixth commandment. The final thing I'll say to that is in the new Testament, there's actually quite a few encounters of godly people talking with soldiers And there's a famous story in Luke chapter 3 where John the Baptist, which interestingly enough, if you study scripture, John the Baptist, you put Jesus to the side because Jesus is always the right answer, right? You put Jesus to the side, the greatest person in the Bible outside of Jesus, the Bible says is John the Baptist, says it in the New Testament. So John the Baptist is our example here. And several Roman soldiers in Luke chapter 3 come to him. And they say, hey, what are we supposed to do to to get right with God? And he talks about, he tells them they need to repent, but he doesn't tell them that they need to resign from the Roman army. He doesn't say, hey, to be a follower of God, you got to quit your day job as a soldier and then just follow me because that's, you know, what you're doing is wrong in God's eyes. No, no, no. He says, listen, he actually tells them different things. He says, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. Be content with your wages. Be an honest and honorable soldier. 
He's not saying run from being a soldier or you need to stop being a soldier if you're, you're a Christian. What he's saying is, no, you can be a soldier and be a Christian, and if you have to kill somebody in war, that's not considered murder in the sixth, the same thing as murder in the sixth commandment. Guiding principle here is that life is precious and we are to care about our neighbor. And if you want to hear the really long version, because there is a longer version, the first service knows. If you want to hear the long version where I get into a bunch of other interesting topics with murder, you can listen to the first service online. I go really in depth on a bunch of other issues with murder, but I'm not going to do that this service. But I am going to talk about three. We are going to talk about, well, two um, cultural issues that the sixth commandment does talk about and does have something to say about, and it is prohibited. And as I jump into these, I want you to know as your pastor that, um, you know, oftentimes we don't always bring up or touch on these issues on a Sunday morning, not because we're afraid of talking about what the Bible says on these or truthful things, but part of it is that these topics are massive topics. And people often have a lot of questions about them, and they're very personal topics to people. So I'm going to jump into two of these, but I want you to know that I'm going to teach these truthfully and honestly, as I should, um, but I'm also going to teach them with grace. So the sixth commandment does prohibit or speak against two things, and one of them today is suicide. Suicide. Suicide is prohibited by the sixth commandment because self-murder is still murder. It's just the killing of self. Murder, killing someone else, self-murder, killing yourself. We call that suicide. And I've, as a pastor, I've um, unfortunately had to do funerals of um, people who have committed suicide who are, you know, 20 years old. And I've uh, wept with the parents and comfort them. And actually pretty often, unfortunately, more often than not, I talk with people after service who have had children who have killed themselves or a spouse who's killed themselves, and, um, and they're just so broken over it. I mean, you guys know, many of you have friends and neighbors and people that are in your life, maybe even family members who have um, taken their life, and it is such a painful and heavy, heavy topic. But one thing I have that is almost a reoccurring conversation when I have these conversations that I really want to speak to this morning is this. When I have these conversations, a lot of times people will say, people will equate the sin of suicide and say, Pastor, I know, but do you think that they're in heaven because that is, I know suicide is the unforgivable sin. And I want to make really clear as your pastor, because that really grieves my heart when I hear that. I want to make really clear. Suicide is sin, but suicide is not the unforgivable sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin in the New Testament, the only place you really see that in the New Testament is in, is in the Gospels, and it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is the denying of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's what the un, un, unforgivable sin is. Suicide is not an unforgivable sin. And so how it comes up is, you know, someone who, who was a parent, had a child who really loved the Lord and lived for the Lord, but in a season of their life, struggled with depression, wrestled with hopelessness, and made a decision to take their life. And, and, and then the parent's like, well, 
pastor, they, they took their life, so, and I know that's the unforgivable sin, so you know, I'm really wrestling with them being in hell or whatever, and i just like, oh, man. The Bible does not say that that is the unforgivable sin. The Bible says that every sin, is, uh, every sin can be forgiven and washed by the blood of Jesus, really clearly. Whether it's murder of somebody else, whether it's self-murder, whether it's drunkenness and somebody drunk, you know, it's the same thing as if somebody was a believer who had a lot of fruit, they walked with Jesus well, they were serious about their faith. We knew, we looked at them and said, man, this person was serious about their faith. And then they go through something really difficult in life. And unfortunately, they go and they get drunk one night and they get behind their car and they smack into a tree and their life's over, they kill themselves. We wouldn't, with that situation, say, well, you know, they drove into a tree and they murdered themselves or whatever. Well, they're, or they were drunk driving. So because they drank right at the end of their life, that must have meant that, that they don't go to heaven. No, all sins can be forgiven and washed by the blood of Jesus. And that's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus' blood forgives all sins, that there is no sin that is too much for him to wipe, to forgive, to cleanse. He can forgive. Forgive us and cleanse us of the sins that we wouldn't even whisper to somebody else. The things that we're ashamed of, the things that we feel burdened by, the things, there are so many people that feel. And let me tell you what the enemy does. The enemy will try to use the shame that you feel in your life surrounded by an action to make you feel less than, to make you feel dirty, to make you feel like you can't be accepted by God because he knows that if you've made a decision, you're a follower of Jesus already, but he can't make you unsaved, but he can play with your mind. Fifty thousand people every single year commit suicide. Fifty thousand people. And it seems to be a growing trend with young people that just lose hope. And I, I, I want to speak to you. One, I want to say this. Um, you know, a lot of people struggle with this. A lot of people struggle with this. Don't be ashamed if you wrestle with depression or suicidal thoughts. Um, and, I'll, and I'll be honest and vulnerable with you guys that when I, I went through a season where I wrestled with this, I went through a really difficult season in my life, my freshman year of, of um uh, college. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with my dad as I was driving in the car and he was concerned for me. Um, I was talking, you know, what's the point of life? What's the this? What's the that? And I was really wrestling. I didn't tell him, but I was really wrestling with, you know, those thoughts of, of, Hey, what's the point of this all? You know, should I take my life? Does it really matter? I was a believer. I was a Christian and I wrestled with those thoughts in my mind. I was in a deep season of depression um, from a lot of painful things that had happened in my life in a very short season. And, you know, the way that we need to approach people, whether it's, if you're not wrestling with the sin, that's fine, but it's important to understand how to approach people who do wrestle with this. And you need to come very gracious to them. You need to come very, very, very open to hear them out. And, and don't, you know, they say you're struggling. They don't slap their hand down and say, wow, how would you struggle with that? But come, come very open and loving and gracious to them. That, that's how my father approached me and he, he said, I'm concerned about you, Josiah. Let's talk more. And he just walked me through a very dark season in life. And oftentimes, people make a permanent decision in a temporary time. They take a permanent, they make a permanent decision in a season of pain. And um, it's a temporary season, but it's a permanent decision that they make. 
And so don't be afraid, parents, to talk with your kids as uncomfortable as a topic and say, hey, listen, I know you've been wrestling. Hey, do you need to talk to me about anything? Never be ashamed to talk to me if you're wrestling with depression or suicide because I'm here to walk with you through. We have a church who's here. We have a past. We are here to walk you through. And that's not just for the young generation. That's for anybody at any age who's wrestling with a season of, I've talked with people, part of our church, lost my job, lost my family. What's the point of it? And I say, listen, listen, I know you have lost, but your life is not hopeless. Your life is not hopeless. Don't let the enemy put seeds of lies and deception in your mind and rob you of all hope and joy. This may be a dark season in your life, but you can bounce back from that. And that's part of the reason that the church is here, right? And so people need to talk through these things, and I think it's helpful. And so, man, and if you're wrestling with that today, let me say this. Your life has meaning and purpose. Even if you don't feel like your life has meaning and purpose, your life has meaning and purpose, and God could use any of us in this room for amazing things. So never buy into the lie that there's no reason for living. God has given you a reason for living, and you mean something to him. The other area that's, that's a cultural issue, that's, that's, a, that's a touchy issue, but it's an important issue for us as a church to talk about is the area that would be under the, the sixth commandment of, it would be considered murder, is abortion. Abortion. I'm very well aware of all the different opinions and views on abortion. I have plenty of conversations with people that are believers and non-believers and atheists and agnostics and all different types of conversations. And once again, it can be a very um, difficult thing for people to talk about, especially people that have you know, made a decision and they wrestle with the guilt of a decision that they made, you know, before they knew Christ or a long time ago. There is in our country, one million abortions every single year, every single year in the U.S. alone, there is a million abortions. And we look at a bunch of passages in the scripture, but the one I want to highlight today is Psalms 139.13, famous passage that brings us to the importance of a child in the womb. It's from David, who was a king, a man of God, a man after God's own heart, as God called him. And David says in Psalms, he says, for you, he's talking about God, God, you formed my inner parts and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Another important passage that we look to, it's in the New Testament. I don't have it quoted here. But when Mary, who was Jesus' mother, and Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist's mother, when they were both pregnant, they have an encounter where they gather together in the Gospels, and it says, when they saw one another, the baby jumped, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and jumped inside of the womb, once again, very clearly showing us as we go to Scripture that even a baby can be influenced, even a baby has a soul, even an undeveloped child as they're growing can be influenced and touched by the Holy Spirit and can jump because it has life. Really, this conversation goes, if you get in, and I, I don't want to get into the whole debate right now, but to give you a couple points, is because um, it's a big conversation, really where this conversation goes with people that disagree with abortion being murder um, by the way, by the way, historically with the church, only until recent times, 
only until the very recent future, uh, the very, re- uh, very uh, near present, has the church or Christians even had a different opinion about abortion. For the last 2,000 years of the church's existence, and even before that, um, it was very clear what Christians believed about abortion. So if there's a different opinion nowadays, let me say it's a different opinion um, than what the church has held for thousands, uh, 2,000 years that has been around. But this conversation really comes down to this. It comes down to where does life begin? Now, we would take the stance here at this church that life begins at conception. When the egg and the sperm come together, that's when we believe that life starts right there. You know, what's been interesting is as um, scientists and biologists have studied the development of children in the mother's womb, I think the argument has gotten even stronger for the life of the child in the mother's womb. Let me give you a couple, I can go really in depth, let me just give you a couple, first, the first days and first weeks of a child in a mother's womb and what that child, uh, where that child is in its development process. Day one, day one, all the human chromosomes are present day one. Day 22, the heart begins to beat, imagine this, 22 days into the baby's existence, the baby's heart begins to beat with the child's own blood, which is oftentimes a different type of blood type than the mother's blood and has different DNA than the mother's DNA. 22 days in. Three weeks in, the spinal column, the nervous system, and the organs, like the liver, begin to develop in the child. Week five, the eyes, the legs, the hands are developing. Week six, the mouth, the lips, the fingernails are developing. And I can go more in depth. Once again, I have a, you can do the research too. There's tons and tons of research about when the child in the mother's womb can feel pain. Let me tell you the common, uh, uh, time frame for abortion, like in states like California, is 20 weeks. And the time that a child feels pain is far before 20 weeks. When a child starts dreaming is before 20 weeks. When a child still in the womb can recognize their mother's voice still in the womb, young. And I say this to say that this is something that I believe is to be honest with you, is one of the greatest tragedies that we're experiencing in modern times because a million children are being executed, killed, um, killed in, their, in their mother's wombs in different ways. And um, I know people make decisions for different reasons, but the Christian biblical view that the Bible teaches uh, would be that abortion at any time from the first day uh, is the killing of a child. And I'm going to move on, but let me say one more final thing. In this conversation, people will say, well, what about, it's one of the go-to responses. Well, 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 what about rape? And once again, you know, our heart, our heart grieves with any woman that's gone through a situation that's the, whole, it's the worst, it's the horrible, horrible 
situation that any human being should be put in to make, a, to make a decision and have to wrestle with something, a child inside of you that's put in by someone else. It's the worst. Horrible. Horrible. But when we talk about cases like that, when we talk about rape or other cases, very um, other, other situations like that, rape is far less than 1% of all abortion cases that happen every single year. Far less. So when oftentimes when people go there, it's not because they, they really want to try to come to an answer. It's because they're trying to take a small minority case to justify the killing of the other 99%. And I would say this as well, just because the worst case scenario, horrible, that a woman would be raped and have a baby inside of her, I would say this as well, two wrongs don't make one right. The worst thing was done to that woman. Any woman that's gone through that, anyone who's here that's gone through that, I can't imagine that situation and what that feels like. But I would also say this, as horrible as that act was done to you or anybody that doesn't justify doing another act that God himself would see as a sinful, horrible act. The passage I chose to, I chose to end this little section with was I chose Romans 8, chapter 1. Because I know just like suicide, there's a lot of shame around the area of abortion oftentimes. oftentimes. And Romans chapter 8 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If you have committed abortion um, or committed multiple abortions, whether recently or a long time ago, let me say this. One, I want to speak clearly to it that God has not called us to, to to act in that way and live that way. Um, that's a violation of the sixth command. But let me say this. There is forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. There is washing and forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. And there is no good that comes from you carrying on and feeling condemned every day of your life for an action that you did. Was it wrong? Absolutely. But every single person with me at the first of the line has done wrong and sinned. I don't deserve to be in heaven. I have sinned a mountain full of times, and I deserve the punishment for my sins. Thanks be to Jesus and the work of the cross that my worst of worst sins are covered by the blood of Jesus, past, present, and future, and I don't have to do good works to earn my right standing with God. He has done it, so I don't have to. If you are wrestling with that, let me tell you, there is hope and there is forgiveness. And if you are a woman right now who is wrestling with some difficult situation or you're wrestling with, whether you're online or in person, you're wrestling with giving, you know, having an abortion with, with, a, with a child that's in your room. Maybe nobody even knows you're pregnant yet. Let me tell you, there are options. There are options. There are options. And there are, there are people and parents who are looking to adopt children as well. There are people who are looking. Even if you don't feel like you can take that responsibility on. There are people who are looking to adopt. So there are options. There's always options and God always provides a way. Okay. Now that we went through that, let's talk now. Let's go from culturally, and this is where the sermon's going to end. Let's talk very practically. You know, most of us in this room, most of us in this room, aren't struggling with murderous thoughts, you know, per se, on a daily basis. 
You know, you're not sitting there and thinking, oh, I'm just really struggling with thinking about killing my boss on Monday. Like, I just, I just really don't. If you are, come up to me, we can talk after, but typically it's not. There are people in here who have struggled, and um, typically not with that, but have gone the whole way and attempted murder or murder. I, you know, it's part of our, our church family, but the majority of people, 99% of people in here, aren't necessarily wrestling with, you know, you may get frustrated with your kids. You may say, well, you know this, but you're not thinking about stabbing your kid or something like that, right? Hopefully not. Talk to me. But Jesus makes it really very practical to us, and he actually brings it to another area because what happened is in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were basically saying, well, we're good too. The most religious people of Jesus' day, when Jesus walked the face of the earth, were Pharisees. Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. And the Pharisees basically said, hey, listen, we don't murder, we're all good. And Jesus says, oh, you don't murder? Let me point to another area that is dealing with the same topic, same issue, and let me address something that you may be dealing with. So Matthew 5, the classic passage, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus says this. He says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. Exodus, we just talked about that. Yes, they knew it. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Here's Jesus. Jesus expounds it. He goes bigger, deeper. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister or sister raka, which means fool or nimwit, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering a gift, your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar and go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the most religious people you can think about in your mind right now, were like the Pharisees of the day. And Jesus had a lot of issues with the Pharisees. You read throughout the Gospels, oftentimes Jesus is like, yo, Pharisees, you just, you're, what are, what's wrong? You guys keep messing up. He actually calls them whitewashed tombs. In other words, what he says is, you look real good on the outside. You look real religious on the outside. You look really good to everybody around you, but your heart, it's not what God wants. He's talking to people who pretty themselves up, who you know, spray, spray, look real nice, do real good acts for people around them, but do not have the heart that God wants. The Pharisees were teaching in that day that you could do anything up until the point of murder. They were saying, hey, you hate your brother? Yeah, your brother's horrible. Hate him all the way. Just don't kill him. Hey, your parent was super wrong to you. They messed you up. They did some things that you don't appreciate, agree with, and you're bitter to them. Yeah, hold that bitterness. Push that bitterness to the limits. Yeah, but just don't kill him. And they were saying, hey, listen, you could hate, you can have anger, you could have bitterness towards people. God's not even concerned with that. What God's concerned with is that you don't murder. And Jesus shows up and goes, wrong. 
Jesus points and says, listen, this is not a matter of external performance and that God cares not just about the act of murder, but the heart of murder. God is saying, hey, listen, I'm really happy that you haven't killed your neighbor or that person that's driving you crazy. But you know what? When I look at your heart and I look at the heart of a murderer, you have the same seeds, the same looking heart that a murderer does. And you may not have murdered somebody. You may not have killed somebody and you may never try to attempt to kill them in your life. But when I look at your hearts and God says, I look at the heart, what I see is someone who's overflowing with rage and hatred and bitterness for people that's around them. You want to know how you feel about somebody? Watch how you talk about them. Jesus is talking about how you talk. The Bible says your words reveal your heart. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, people are saying, oh, you fool, you stupid, you idiot, you're this. He said, there's something deeper down there to that. And he says, anytime that we have bitterness and hatred and resentment and anger in our heart to somebody else that's around us, we have the same seeds of a murder inside our heart, even if we've never committed murder. And the anger it talks about here is an anger that will not forget an anger against somebody that wants revenge because of something that they've done. And God is ultimately saying, I am concerned not just with your outward actions, not just with the full extent of what hatred does, which is murder. That's the full extent when you hate somebody so much that you end up killing them. God's like, I'm actually concerned about all this area over here as well. The hatred, the anger, the bitterness that you hold towards somebody. And he says, listen, you need, like, that person is in danger of the fire of hell just as much as a murderer is. And we are feeling all real good. You're like, man, haven't murdered, check. Haven't done this, check. Not dealing with psycho thoughts, check. And people were feeling real good, and Jesus showed up and said, it's not just about the final act. It's about everything that leads up to that. And you have the same heart as that person that has acted to the fullest extent. And he actually gives us an action step. He says, listen, here's the danger, Christians, that we can get caught up with a heart that looks like a murderer as a Christian, as a Christian, seeds of resentment, bitterness, and anger against people that have legitimately hurt us and wronged us. But we can pretty it up with Christian acts. Hey, I'm glad that you're raising your hands. I'm glad that you give to the church. I'm glad that you go to the food pantry. But what God is saying ultimately, kind of in our context, is what he's saying is, if you're in the middle of giving in the church, if you're in the middle of you know, raising your hands because that's a powerful worship song, and you remember that you have bitterness or anger or hatred towards anybody in your life, he's like, put your hand back down Better to leave the room and then go call that person on the phone and start dealing with it or drive to their house and start dealing with it. I love that God is giving us a super practical step. He's saying, listen, 
I'm not, I'm not into you just raising hands so everyone can see that you're a real godly good person. I'm not into you just coming down to the altar and getting on your knees. I'm not into you just giving to me, although I've called you to give to me. I'm not into you just going to the food pantry and feeding other people. I want you to deal with your heart. Deal with the bitterness and the anger and the resentment and the hatred that you have for people. You need to deal with that, my child, because at the root of that is the same root that a murderer has in their heart. The same seeds are there. The same foundation is there. And if you don't deal with that, your life will be consumed by that. I remember the first time I studied this passage and I was like, man, I felt real good. I was like, man, I don't have anything against anybody. Like I'm, I'm a, I deal with issues, but I'm laid back. Like I'm not like, I'm, I just, I'm not a drama person. Drama doesn't circle around. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. People need to come to me. Line up. I'm good. And then I read it and I said, I got super convicted because it says if, if anyone, not if you have anything against anybody, that's part of it. If you have something against somebody, sure, go, deal with it. But it says something crazier than that. It says if anybody has anything against you. See, it's easy for me to say, I don't have an issue with that person. So if they have something, they can come and talk to me. I'm here all day. They have my number. Come and talk to me, and then we can deal with it. But I'm not going to go and talk with them. I don't have any issue with them. My heart's clean. It's easy for me to do that. But to humble myself when I don't have an issue with someone, but they have an issue with me, and humble myself before and say, you know what? Hey, I know that I, I heard through the grapevine that you have an issue with me. I just wanted to talk about that. That's what God's calling us to. That's radical reconciliation. Normal reconciliation is you going out of the way to deal with it. Radical reconciliation, when you start getting to a certain level in your faith, when you start saying, it's not just about what I have with other people, well, what do they have against me? Because I want such unity. I want such drama-free life. I want such good relationships that I will even go to the hard places with people that don't want to talk with me because I want to do everything I can do in my power to make my relationships right with one another. And I believe that God has called some of us in this room to release some people that we've been holding captive in our heart for a long time. A long time. Let me say this too. If you've gone through this process with somebody and you feel like your heart's clean, honestly, before the Lord, you feel like your heart's clean and you've reached out to them, you've gone over, you've called them up and you've shared your heart, you've humbled yourself and you've, you've gone the whole way like, hey, I just want to be right. And after the, you went 100%, they just like, they want nothing to do with you. I would say that you've done what's needed to do. You can always try again and again, but I would say scripture-wise, you've done what you needed to do. You've made the attempt. If you've honestly made it, you've made the attempt, but now you need to keep your heart open and resent-free and not allow those seeds to get back in. Some people let the seeds get back in because they're waiting. I thought, it would, I thought they'd come by now, Pastor. You told me. I didn't tell you when they were going to come. They may never, they may never come to you and ask for forgiveness. And if you're waiting to release them till they come with you, you may not release them till you're in the grave. You know how many people I've talked to at their funerals who have, who have siblings who haven't talked with their other siblings in years 
And they, they're weeping. Part of the reason they're weeping is not just because they lost a sibling, but because they, they, they let their sibling die and they had so much hatred. I hadn't talked to them in years. Talk with people. Saw them there. And when I was, um, when I was fasting one time, years ago I was fasting, and I was driving up to a prayer meeting with my dad, and we were just talking midway into this fast. I'm fasting and super hungry. So hungry. And I'm talking with my dad, and, and um, the Lord revealed to me that I, had, that I had bitterness in my heart towards somebody that was close to me. And I, I, if you would have asked me with a lie detector test, I would have said, I don't, have, I don't have bitterness against this person. But the way I spoke about them, the way I talked, the way I treated them sometimes, you asked me, I would have said no, but the way I treated them and talked to them, I had bitterness. I, I had heart issues. And the Lord revealed it. I, was, I called them on the phone. And I couldn't even get the words out. I couldn't speak. I was so broken because the Lord had revealed to me. He's like, Josiah, you're, you have heart issues with this person. And then I called him the second time. I literally just couldn't say anything. I was so broken over it. And I called him the second time. I said, I just need, I don't, I don't think you have anything against me, but I need to release. Like I have been holding something and I, the Lord made it, made it clear to me and I want to release it. Like, I want to know that I release it. I don't hold you against any of that. And I just, and I want to make things right with me and you because my relationship with you is important to me. And, I, and, my, and even more importantly, my relationship with the Lord is important to me. And I don't want anything to get in the way. And I wonder if there's anybody in here who say, I've never murdered somebody. But man, if the, if the Lord was to reveal your heart to you, you'd see the same thing that, he, that, that was shown in my heart. The same seeds, same bitterness and hurt and resentment. Would you stand? You know, forgiving someone that's deeply, deeply hurt you, betrayed you, cheated on you, backstabbed you, and it happens. That doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that what they did wasn't legitimate. Like, it doesn't mean that that wasn't real. It doesn't mean that you won't have to still deal with the consequences of that. It doesn't mean that that doesn't matter. When you forgive someone, it doesn't mean like, well, it just doesn't matter. I'm just kind of like, but I'll tell you what, you think that you're holding somebody else in bondage, like I'm holding it to them, but really you're the one who's held in bondage. And God has called us to walk in freedom. He's called us to walk in freedom in him. And um, I want to see you as a church. If there's areas, if the Lord has revealed even during this sermon that there's areas, I want to see you walk in freedom. One of the things that helps and what's littered all over scripture is it says this, when we struggle with forgiving someone else, that we should remember how much God has forgiven us. Oh, Pastor, you don't, I have people after sermons on forgiveness who have come up to me and say, but you don't know. Happens almost every time. And you're right, I don't know. But I also don't know the mountain of sins that you've committed that God has forgiven you of. Let's put all that on the table too, because God has forgiven us of so much. And what he asks from us 
is to extend the same forgiveness to others. Extend the same. Well, you don't know what they did yet, but the Lord knows what you did and I did. And my list is so long. And yet God said, I'll forgive you, Josiah, but when you have things with other people, don't I've forgiven you of a huge debt, so don't you dare hold the debt against somebody else. Don't you dare hold that debt against somebody else. You remember how much I've forgiven you. And so I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you close your eyes? Everyone in the room can just close their eyes with me. I believe there's people in this room who are holding on to new things, new hurts, new rejections, new betrayals. People that said they would be there, they didn't lies, and it stuck with you. And you say, if they just did this, my life would have been different. Some of you in the room are holding on to things that are ancient. They are dusty in your heart. They've been there for so long, and you're holding against someone. You say, I don't need them in my life. I don't need that person close. I, I, they need to come to me, and God's saying, if you're a child of mine, take a moment right now to remember how much I've forgiven you. How dare you hold a debt against somebody else that I've forgiven your debt of? And with your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to, I want to pray for specific people, but Instead of having everyone come up to the altar with every eye closed, I'm just, if you're, only if you're saying, I release them today, and you know someone clearly that the Lord's revealed to you, before we go into an, a religious act of worshiping God, you need to deal with something. And I want to I lead you to the first step. If you know you need to release somebody, I want you to raise both hands as a sign to God. With every eye closed in the room, just raise them to God. But only if you're going to release this person. Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands if you're not going to release them. I want you to weigh it. I want you to weigh what it means to let this person go. I want you to weigh in your mind, in your heart, what it means to truly say, I let this, I release this person. I release my father for not being there. I release my wife for, for cheating on me. I release that child for what they did. I release that boss. I release that person. Don't raise your hands unless you're willing to release. Don't raise your hands unless you're willing to release. But when you've done it, raise them to God, not to me. Raise them to God. Say, God, I just let them know I release. I want, you to, I want you to let God know who specifically you're releasing and what they've done. The Bible tells us to pray specifically about it. Say, I'm, I'm releasing this person because they did that into the relation. I've never let that go. It affected me. It's still affecting me, but I release them. I release them. I will not hold on anymore to that pain and to that hurt. I release that. Keep your hands up. I'm going to pray for you right now. Holy Spirit, would you do your work right now? Would you reach so deep down into our heart? And would you destroy the seeds of bitterness? Would you destroy the seeds of anger and rage and hatred in our heart? Would you release us as we hold our hands? You know the people on our minds right now and the situations, the group of people, whatever it is, you see it right now, and you know that there's freedom when we release God. 
And so you see your church right now from your throne in heaven. You see your church. I ask that you would heal them as they release, Father, that you would give them the power to forgive and release over and over and over again, especially if they continue to be hurt and damaged by the same people. Would you give them the power of your spirit to release the people that, are, that have hurt them and damaged them and lied to them? Father, would you, would you allow them? Would you give them the power? to release those and allow them to remember the overflowing forgiveness that you have given them. Release it. Some of you are going to feel the most free you've ever felt to worship after this. You're going to feel the most free that you have ever felt in years to worship. Some of you have been having a spiritual blockage in your life where you cannot figure out why you can't be on fire for God, but it's because you have unforgiveness. You have let block your relationship and hold you back for years now, and today is the day you are set free. And we're going to move into a worship song right now, but as we pray all this, We lift this all before your name, and I want you just to worship God. Some of you, I want you to worship God freely. I want you to worship God freely. We raise these prayers up to you, Jesus. Thank you for doing your work. We acknowledge the work that you've done in this moment, and we worship you right now. We worship you right now, Jesus. We praise your name. We thank you that you are a God who forgives us, who washes us who washes us of all of our sinfulness, all of the thoughts that we've had in our mind, all the actions we've done, the secret and hidden things. We thank you for forgiving us, Jesus. And we choose in faith to forgive those that have harmed us. And we praise your name. Let's sing.